And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Welcome to Seeing Red. boys and girls welcome to scene red i'm david k montoya all right kids as we move to episode 100 but unfortunately for rebecca and aaron they weren't able to come to the house and do a show this week so i have a guest and this guest hasn't been on the show since episode 55 so that means it's been 42 weeks almost an entire year since we sit down her and i spoke we never speak. We only speak when we're on the podcast <laughs> show. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, let me introduce to you the guest this week, my loving, my caring, my supportive, the big one, supportive wife, Lacey Montoya. Hi, folks. Now, before we get into today's topic, because uh, we're, this show is probably going to be about 45 minutes because I actually have to get my ass out and get in the shower and get off the work, but uh, the kid's asleep, the little girl's asleep, Jaden's in his room doing his thing, so it's just nice and quiet. Um, so Lacey's like, let's do the podcast. We had a nice little dinner, uh, which was really nice because I haven't had steak in two weeks, and Lacey's been living off of processed food for, what, like two weeks? Yeah. Um, so we're all nice, happy, and full, and figure we'll have a good time. Uh, the reason I say supportive is because a lot of people don't know what goes on behind scenes and you know i i try to portray life as genuine as possible and sometimes we get into financial crunches and you know we always end up working it out together as a family or and that's the way it should be or um like this biggest one we we had a conversation about it last night is the mongers and though Lace, Lace is the type of person, now I've been live with Lace, at come January, I've been with her for 20 years. And Lacey has always been the person who has kept me bounded to reality. I have, I'm a dreamer. I've always been a dreamer since I've, you know, can remember. And, and she's always been the one that kept me in reality. And we were talking about the movie last night, and she had some good questions. And, and though... I do have plans to progress, and, and thank goodness for S. Sadie Burbank, because this movie would not happen without Sadie Burbank, which she's a godsend. And I a love her. Yes. Um, but you know what? She's like, okay, I don't get what you're going to do, but I support you. And that that is the biggest key, I think, to marriage, especially when you're married to you know, a dreamer like me. It's like, I don't get I you. i got to keep bounded sometimes to the ground. And, uh, but she's like, go do it, go do what you need to do. And plus, you know, when we first started talking about this project, I told her, I said, Hey, Lace, you're going to be the set designer. And she looked at me and she's like, okay. Now, mind you kids, I didn't ask her. I was like, you're going to be the set designer. And that was just pretty much that. No comment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so we are working on the... But you just didn't say set designer. I have to cook the food, too, to y- keep people set. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, and I said this... Actually, I said this two weeks ago when I... Like, last time I podcasted with Rebecca and Aaron. Uh-huh. I said, my wife is one of the best cooks that I've ever crossed in my life. And you are. You're just... I love your cooking. Well, you don't got much to compare to. Your mama wasn't much of a cook. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. But still, I know what I like, and I like your cooking. Thank you. So, yeah. So, other than set designing, and let me just explain. The house that we live, the house that we've ever lived in, in in our 20-year relationship, Lacey has always decorated the house, and I'm not much one for decorating. Now, I can kind of see what I have in my head, you know, as far as, like, for the movie project. But what it'll come down to is it'll tell Lacey, okay, this is what our setup is. This is kind of the feel I'm wanting. And Lacey will go then and supply what I need to, you know, fill it in and make it, make it look like it's lived in. Right. And that's, that's your key thing is you always make it look lived in. Homey. Yes. I've uh, gotten so many compliments about people coming over to my house and saying they're so comfortable. Yes. Well, this one will be just a little bit of the opposite. Did you drop again? No. Okay. Um, Before we started recording, we were having issues with the headsets. Um, So that's what's going on. Yes, I forgot. Yes, she has to cook the food too, plus the set designing. And now she is our guest here on Scene Red. Thank you. Okay, one of the things that we have to do with Lace is we have to keep her entertained. We have to approach subjects because she doesn't care about animal sex and men humping horses and, you know, people putting their dicks in cheese. She's not really into that. (laughs) So we needed to approach this and bring up a topic that I know. I'm not a prude, but that's just far out there. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is anytime we mention animal sex stories, the the ratings they just like double they shoot up They're like oh my god I can't believe they said that <laughs> so it's it's like one of our things it was just and it was when we first mentioned it it was like long ass time ago it was just on a joke but people just come in they're like okay let's see what they have to say this week then you know so now it's we we mentioned it maybe once every ten weeks is what we do. Because there's really not that much animal sex news out there. I don't know. So what we did for her this week, kids, is um, I know my wife very, very well. And she has always been, if it's dark, supernatural, um, creepy, haunted, you know, stuff like that. She's very, very much interested in. Yes, sir. So this week... We're going to go through, and we're going to talk about the five creepiest urban legends that are true. Okay. Now, you had mentioned, um, what was your spin? Do you remember what your spin was? Because we were going to talk about that guy. Oh, I was telling you and Sadie that we should do a show um, about, do you think it's true or fiction? Oh, yes, yes, that's it. And I was going around and I stumbled across this, and I think that this is is a lot better than fact or fiction. I think we'll have some good conversation. Let me blow this up so I can read it. 
All right, kids, let's go ahead and get to this. It is the five creepiest urban legends that are true. Uh, let's see what it starts with. It says, the best camp, creepy campfire stories are always the ones that end with the words, and it's all true, because I have the damn documentation here to prove it. In, in that spirit, we've tracked down five of the creepiest tales and urban legends that really happen to real people. Proving, once and for all, that nothing is more terrifying than everyday life. Now, okay, let me read this to you, and, and we'll see what you have to say about it. The first one is, a dead body under your freaking mattress. Is this the one in Vegas? You'll be surprised, actually, what it says. Uh, a couple checks into a hotel and has to put up with a foul odor in their room all night. They call staff to complain, and somebody figures out that the stench is coming from under the bed. Now, there is no way that the scenario is going to play out to a good ending. You're almost hoping that at this point that it turns out that the last guest got drunk, pooped, <laughs> got pooped behind the headboard. But no, the staff take off the mattress and discover... The couple have been sleeping over a rotting body of a dead girl who has been stuffed in the box springs. As I said before, this, is, this actually happened, and it happened in more than Las Vegas. It's happened in Las Vegas, Kansas City, Missouri, and Atlantic City, New Jersey, and several times in Florida and in... Yes. California. California, yes. Um, now, so what? They're bringing in prostitutes and they're not happy with the sex, so they kill them and shove them to the mattress. That's what I'm thinking. Five bucks for a hand job? No way. <laughs> <laughs> Go down to D Street. No, they cleaned up D Street. Huh? Yeah. Uh, for you guys that don't live around this area, D Street. Um, is in an old old part of town, and that's where your prostitutes and speed freaks and everything low life hung out. But I guess they they, they cleaned it up. Cleaned it up. Uh, let's see. Back to the article. It says it makes sense if you think about it. The closet and under the bed are the two of the most popular places to hide about anything. It's not surprising a hell of a lot of corpses end up there as well. In fact, odds are pretty good that at least one guy has killed a prostitute. That's, yeah, there you go. Tried to stuff her under the bed only to find out that there was already a body there. Holy shit! <laughs> um, now, I wonder if that shocked him. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, let's see. The strangest part isn't that the body will wind up in such a terrible hiding place. Killers often aren't the type to plan ahead. No, the strange thing is, is that almost every story people tell, people sleep part of, or in many cases, the entire night on top of the corpse before reporting it. Now, I'm sorry, but if I smell something funky in my rented room, I'm going to have on the phone or going down to the front desk and saying, can I please have another room? There's such a foul smell in there. I can't. Well, I was going to say. I have such a 
a nauseating stomach as it is, so I couldn't sleep all night long with this meal. We have a, a fairly good track record. We we have a tendency to travel for our vacation, and you know more times than not, we'll stop and we'll stay at a hotel room or something. And if we were to walk into a hotel or an actual room that stunk, we wouldn't even unpack. We no. would just turn around and walk right back out. Right. And ask for a different room or go somewhere else. So it's just crazy because people will come in, unpack, oh, what's that smell? Oh, well, let's go gamble or I something. I mean, I've had piss on the toilet and I've gotten a different room. Yeah. Um, they make a good statement here. It says most people will complain if they detect even the slightest smell of cigarette in their room. Four months ago, you know, it's like a stagger. Right. They'll complain about it. But none of these people even bothered. The, Probably because they're smokers. Non-smokers are, excuse me, people, but very anal. You know, and these people, they they slept inches above an oozing heap of rotting flesh. You know, and they didn't they didn't think to inconvenience the hotel management for a new room. It just it just boggles my mind because all cases are not. They said that most of these people. Just kind of put up with the smell. I don't understand. Isn't one of the stories, um, can, am, I, am I allowed to say business names? Uh-huh. Gold Strike in, um, Jean, is it Jean? It is in Jean, Nevada. Yeah, we, we... Wasn't there a story there? Yes. Many years ago? Yes. That there was a body under the bed that eventually the hotel staff got so, tired of the complaints. Right. And they used air freshener after air freshener, trying to get rid of the stench. Then they took the bed apart and found the the decomposing body. Yeah, because they were just going to toss the mattresses and put brand new mattresses in. And when they pulled the the mattress back, they found the decomposing body. And they also found one at um. It wasn't because they changed the name from when it first opened, but the Prima Donna, Prima Donna. Um, I don't remember what it was called when it first opened. Oh, I don't know. But they, I remember reading about that in the newspaper, you know, that they had found a, a dead body there as well. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of ominous and creepy because those were two of our main places that we would stay, mm-hmm. you know, going to Nevada. That's just, nah, that's yucky. Because it's just right there. We don't have to go into the hustle and bustle of Las Vegas. We can go still have fun and get away, and it's shorter sure. distance without the hustle and bustle of going to state line. Well, that, you're not able to asshole with people when you go down and you try to get a couple of drinks at the bar or you, you're gambling. Right. You know, in Vegas, you are, you're literally just elbow to elbow with people. Right. But up, you know, what we call border town because it's it's the town. State line. Yeah. You, you cross over. State line. <laughs> there's, even though you would think there would be more people because it's right there, you're entering it in. But, there's but a less... lot of people, there's their truckers, you know, they're out there sleeping in their cats or they get a room. It's mostly just a layover spot for people traveling. Right. Because um, the casinos are not busy at all. No. But no, I have won a little bit of money there. Yeah, we both have. In fact, uh, I know this is kind of off topic, but uh, Jaden, our oldest son, he was probably like one. Not, he wasn't even two. He was somewhere between like six months and one years old. And we had went up there, and we didn't do well. I gave Lacey some money. She no, that's down. when we took him up there. It was for a tournament that your mom and dad were involved with. Oh, it was the bingo tournament, huh? No, no it was the slot. slot tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I had how much money did I have? I think I had like a dollar and a quarter or something. 
And I went down and just, I think I turned it into like two or $300 just on that little. So we, we've. That's when the double down quarter. Oh, yeah. Poker. I love that. They're not, there's not too many of them around anymore. They're not the same as they used to be, though. They're not the same machines we used to like. No. Um, okay, here's one for you. And let's see if you remember hearing this as a little girl. Um, it's called the Fun House Mummy. And the myth is, is that a prop at a carnival was discovered not to be made from the usual combination of paper mache and uh, carny spit, but human flesh and bone. All the kitties at the haunted house had been poking and giggling at a real mummified dead body. Have you heard of that one? No. I, I remember hearing that one in grade school. Um, here's the truth. Apparently, the smell wasn't just coming from the convict manning the conning or the corn dog stand, but in 1976, a camera crew filming an episode of the Six Million Dollar Man began to set up in a haunted house at the New Pike Amusement Park in Long Beach, California, which is actually not too far from us. Two hours. Um, as they were moving aside a hanging man prop, they accidentally knocked off its arm and discovered human bones inside. Bionic. This poor sap was not. Okay, so it wasn't like they took pieces and made it into a body? No. Because if you knock off the arm and see bones inside, well, yeah, you're going to see the shoulder or their elbow or yeah it no it was the whole it's the whole human body he was hanging from a noose and they thought it was just paper mache but we'll find out why in a minute why you know just the the slightest bit of you know nudge caused the whole arm to fall off he's rotting um the story gets stranger the body was actually that of criminal mastermind elmer mccurdy who was killed in a gun or a gunshot by a gunshot in a shootout after robbing a train in 1911. So this was 75 years later. This body has been floating around for 75 years. So that's why. Um, the, uh, the pricely sum of old Elmer, what he got and what cost him his life, and two jugs of whiskey was only $46. Well, back in 1911? Uh-huh. That's pretty good money. No? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it wasn't in comparison to, like, you know, it was more like 46000 or $46 might have been, like, maybe eight or $900 now. Okay, so who's been keeping old Elmer Foote in a chunk for 75 years, you said? Yeah. Okay, let's find out. It says, McCurdy was embalmed by a local undertaker, and apparently the guy was so damn pleased with his work that he propped up the corpse in front of the funeral home as evidence of his skills. People were charged five cents to see the corpse, which they paid by dropping a nickel into the cadaver's mouth. Remember that a little bit of... Remember that little bit of history the next time somebody turns their nose up 
at you for liking Hostel 2, which we've never seen Hostel. I don't think we've even seen Hostel 1, have we? I don't think so. Uh, let's see. Think it can't get any stranger? Oh, you naive fool. After several years of raking in nickels, and then in parentheses it says, how exactly those coins were extracted after dropping in the corpse's mouth is beyond us. You have to use your imagination. Um, our enterprising undertaker scheme was ruined when McCurdy's brother showed up to claim him. Of course, these guys weren't his brothers at all, but they were carnival promoters. From that point on, McCurdy's mummied, or not mummied, mummy, McCurdy's mummy went on a morbid mystery tour around America, propped up. So at, the Carnies were coming and saying that that's my brother, mm-hmm. and the Carnies took him. Yes. I wonder if my grandpa had anything to do with that. Well, not anything to do with that. But if he ever seen that body in his show, because my mom's father was a carny. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yes, you did. Oh. I, I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. We can move on. I just don't remember. <clears throat> she don't pay attention. I'm getting the eye, folks. This might be the shortest episode of Seeing Red ever. Um, okay, so it says, from that point on, McCurdy's mummy went on to a morbid mystery tour all around America, propped up at carnivals all over the country before finally coming to rest in Long Beach, California. Uh, and then closing statement says, McCurdy is now buried in Oklahoma because McCurdy apparently had the most entertaining corpse in history. They prevented anyone else from taking him on tour by dumping concrete on top of his casket. And it says, no, really, they did. Hmm. So you never heard about that one? No. I remember, in fact, I, I want to say it was, and he's been long past, folks. It was my great-grandfather. He he told me about it. I remember just being a little boy. It kind of freaked me out. Um, okay, here's one for you. It says, The Legend. What was thought to be a typically charming Halloween decoration depicting a lynched woman hanging from a tree turns out to be a genuine suicide. Is that the one where they kept on walking by it because they just thought it was a Halloween prop? Mm, yes, that is. So you have heard of this one. Um, and This one takes place in the town of Frederica, Delaware. A 42-year-old woman, perhaps distraught by the fact that she's lived in Delaware, hung herself from a tree near a busy road on Tuesday night. The body managed to hang there until the next day and was viewed by many unwitting or perhaps mentally handicapped uh, spectators before somebody realized it wasn't a decoration and finally called police. Well, I mean, that's what you kind of get for hanging yourself at Halloween time. Yeah, really. Uh, let's see. Once, once again, it was a lack of complaints by passerbys that amazed us. Even the hanging wasn't, wasn't a body. It was something that looked exactly like one and it would be considered an extremely distasteful Halloween decoration unless she put a wacky witch's costume before doing the deed. 
So they just pretty much thought that, you know, because I'm looking at the picture here and it's just uh, a woman in a dress. Well, no, it's it's she's in like uh, looks like a hat and uh, a man's jacket and pants. And it looks like they've been stuffed. Okay. And it, to, yeah, from this from this picture I'm looking at, it just looks like, uh, you know, someone made a, a silly little costume. But there's a note on it, which, unfortunately, because of how old the picture is and um, how small, because the the actual note that's pinned on the chest is probably one inch by one inch. So it's, like, really tiny. I couldn't make out what it says. But they didn't give a description in the story of what the note said? Uh-uh. Um, <clears throat> let's see. With the political correctness these days, you'd have to experience two special city council meetings and 30 letters to an editor within the first 10 minutes for someone to even see it. You know, nowadays they just snap it up fast. But they actually, and this is probably the most uh, disturbing picture of them all. It's the lady from the waist down, and she's under a tent, and there's people walking up looking at her. And so they, they made it kind of like a, um, a, a freak show. Yeah, a spectacle. <clears throat> uh, let's see. It says, we can't help but wonder if the person who eventually called the police hadn't bothered, how much longer would the body have hung there? You know, and that actually kind of made me think, too, is, you know, there's been so, there were so many people like going, looking, kept on going, no big deal. You know, what if... And it could have been somebody who doesn't live down that street or live in that area. Right. You know, it literally could have been a lot longer. In Delaware, their winters are cold, so she could have hung there all winter. Yeah. And people really wouldn't even have thought of it. Um, Let's see. This happened five days before Halloween. Add five days to the decomposition of the equation, and suddenly you have something a whole lot more terrifying. Also, did the woman plan this? She knew what time of the year it was and intentionally hung herself in a public place. Did she want her corpse to blend into, you know, with the bed sheets of the ghosts and the stuff, witches' hats and stuff? Uh, it sounds like she did. So, that's that one. And, like you said, yeah, you had heard of this one, too. And now, a word from our sponsors. Before 1971, a young S. Sadie Burbank could only imagine a simple American life as a loving wife and mother. That was her goal when she first married in 1959 at the age of 18. But with the wild social revolution of the 1960s, Burbank's idea of a perfect life would quickly change as she left behind her family to begin a new existence of her own. Her journey would find her on a plane headed toward her new lover, Steve, who was halfway across the world, waiting her arrival in a small bush camp in the country of Liberia. Once there, Sadie is greeted with a fascinating, strange world and plunges herself into the exotic land of the bush. But less than six months later, Sadie would realize all was not as it seemed, and Steve was not the man she fell in love with. Burbank found herself desperately seeking escape from the camp and her lover as she raced back to Robertsfield Airport, literally running for her life. Based on an unbelievably true story by S. Sadie Burbank, Red Hills, 
green vines, and dried monkey meat for dinner is a manuscript of Burbank's adventurous and deadly experience during a time filled with sex, drugs, and murder. Now available in paperback and hardback. For more information, log into www.redhills.us. Are you looking for a new book, comic, or apparel from your favorite MythWorks or independent creators? Then you're in the right place. Introducing the all-new redesigned MythMart store. Now bigger, badder, better. Sign up and become a member and receive 10 to 50% off on selected items. Get the all-new Terry D. Shearer's Bloody Hell t-shirt, or non-members can pick up one of our e-books for only $4.95. Or go into the past and relive the 90s with MythWorks Comics Classics for $3.99. The new MythMart. Bigger, badder, better. Visit MythMart at www.mythworks.com slash MythMart. Or find us on Facebook for extra savings. Do you own a business or have an item you want to sling? Do you want a chance to reach potential customers? Do you want to make some extra cash? Then here's your chance. For $50, you can have a one to two minute commercial featured on each of our shows for an entire month. With six shows a week, that's only $2.09 per podcast. Plus, for an extra 10 bucks, your item will be placed into MythMart. So sit back and relax as they handle all stages of transactions. Contact our ad department at info at jazelmon.com. See if you've heard of this one because I've I I've seen it on like TV shows and stuff, but I've never seen anything you know real life. It says a Halloween stunt gone wrong in the the leap surprising way possible. Legend: A teenager manages to provide a Halloween show. He's in with the ultimate finale when he, while pretending to hang himself in front of the audience, actually does hang himself. An accident or on purpose? On accident. Uh, it says the truth. While the fine citizens of Frederica were discussed, were having perhaps a bit slow on the uptake. People involved in this hanging-related legend are in the same honor roll, mainly because it happened more than once. Yes, people have reportedly tried to pull off an imitation hanging for Halloween show, forgot to include the, the word imitation part, and went on to accidentally kill themselves. Yes, they were pretty much all teenage males. You haven't heard anything? No. Um, in one instance, an entire working gala was built for a show with the victim secured to a harness so that He'd stop just short, actually being hung. Take a wild guess on how it turned out. Now, we're just thinking aloud here, but if we're, we were standing on a gallow, fake or not, with a rope around our necks, we'd want to take a few precautions. 
for example, again, just, you know, blue skying maybe. Don't use a real rope that is tied into a real noose that is wrapped around a, a real neck. You know, that, that could actually kill you. Yeah. Um, that would suck, though. Uh, see, perhaps the saddest thing about the story was how completely unnecessary this whole thing was. Here's a tip for anyone trying to thrill kids for Halloween in the future. Uh, you don't need to hang yourself. Just give an oversized chocolate bar instead. Not those fun-sized ones, but the oversized ones. We can guarantee the tykes will be talking about your house and giving the oversized Snicker bar all year long. I didn't buy no Snickers this year. Now, this one is probably perhaps my... This this one just, just really gives me the willies. Um, just to let you know, kids, I don't know how the rest of this episode will go out. Uh, our little girl woke up, so... Um, she's out here with us, but we will continue on with the, the, the show and we will do our best. Anyway, the next one that really just gives me the willies is the thought of being buried alive. Yes. I'm claustrophobic and just the thought of that is very eerie. Yes. Um, okay. It says legend. Some poor schmuck is committed to his his or her eternal resting place, even though they aren't quite ready to take the dirt nap. Scratch marks are found on the coffin's lids, along with other desperate signs of escape. Now, that just, that terrifies me. Yeah, it's not sad, too. Um, <clears throat> one of the big ones was, um, oh, what was it? Martha Washington. Uh, was it Martha Washington or was it Betsy Ross? I think it was Betsy. I'll have to look. But it was neither Betsy Ross or Martha Washington. You know, two of our historically, you know. Women. Women, yeah. They were accidentally buried alive. And when they went to, you know, move the body to like a, a more pristine um, burial place, you know, years, years later, I guess they had claw where they were able to claw into past the wood and there was like claw marks going out of uh and i'm sure their fingers were yeah ouch yeah that's that that just really creeps me out um okay so what we have for the truth it says this not only happened but back in the day it happened an alarm with an alarming regularity. That's what they put the death bells on. Uh-huh. In fact, that's what it talks about. And that's where night shift came from. There was, you know, people just worked days until that happened. And then they created the night shift for people to walk around the, the graveyard looking for the bells. And that's kind of where the night, night shift well, started. it wasn't so much in the graveyard. It was still in the morgue. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. It was in the morgue. And they would put strings, I think, on their hands or on their toes. One of the two, yeah. And then if the bell rung. I think it goes into a little bit more detail. Let me see. Um, so it, it happened on an alarming regularity in the late 19th century. So that was in the late 1800s. William Tebb 
tried to compile all the incidences of premature burial for a medical sources of the day. He managed to collect, guess how many he, he collected of people accidentally being buried alive? Oh, goodness, I don't even want to guess. 219 cases uh, of near premature burial. Uh, 149 cases of actual premature. So 219 were like they were almost to be buried, but they, they found out. And then 149 cases of actual people being buried alive. Um, let's see. And dozens of, dozens of cases where discretion or embalming had begun on a not yet uh, deceased body. Oh, that would be... Horrifying. Just like watching television, these people who are going into surgery uh-huh. and they're paralyzed or they can't talk, but they're feeling every single cut and every single pull. Yeah. Because their anesthesia mm-hmm. wore off, but they couldn't. They were still paralyzed, but they, they were completely awake. Yes. And there was no communication to let doctor or anybody know that, ouch, I can feel that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. God, that has been horrible, especially like those four or five hour oh gosh surgeries. Okay, it says now that this may seem ridiculous nowadays, uh, but keep in mind this was an error before doctors had such an esteemed, um, you know, they didn't have the only way that they knew how to figure out if a person was dead or not. They'd get up in their face and go, "Wake up, wake up." And if they didn't wake up, they were dead. That's honestly how so a person could be in coma or passed out or right. And it also it says here that um, back then, say you went to the doctors for the flu, they would cover you in leeches and prescribe you heroin to suppress the cough. That was common practice back then. So you know they they're nowhere. The fuck do the leeches have to do? Suck the. The vac- or suck the virus out. Oh. I, it, yeah, that was common practice. So they didn't have, you know, the. Not only did they not have the medical know-how that we do, but they also didn't have the advanced mechanical, you know, stuff that we do now. Well, yeah. So that's why it was more commonly known. Uh, let's see. The concern over being buried alive back then was so real that the must-have hot-ticket item for the wealthy and paranoid were called safety coffins. That allowed those inside to signal on the outside world, usually by ringing a bell or raising some type of flag, should they awake six feet under. Though answering the bell sounds like a good way to get ambushed by a zombie, if you asked us. <laughs> Hello, here I am. Yeah. And then there's. But a... you know what the second thing is? Huh. What if it was your enemy taking care of your body that night? You know, somebody you've done pissed off and they're like, oh, there's a flag. Let's just pull this one out of the ground. <laughs> that would suck. Oh my uh-huh. God. That was like, um, it was called Buried Alive or Buried. It was with Ryan Reynolds. Oh, you tell me names. I don't know. Um, I know faces. He, where were you? I think you and mom had went off to bingo and we watched, it was, uh, 
Deanie and I, it was when Poppy was still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the three of us. We watched it, and through the whole movie, they're trying to find this guy. He was kidnapped by like Al Qaeda and buried alive, but he still had a cell phone, and he was able to get a hold of like the the U.S. government, and they're they're trying to find him, and they're like, oh, we you know at the end, we found you, we found you, and they're digging, they're digging, they're digging. And at the very end, they they open the, you hear them opening up the coffin, and he, the the general guy's like, "Oh no!" And then it got to him too late. No, it was the wrong coffin. Oh. And then the the phone died, and that was it. That was how it ended. Oh. Yeah, it wasn't a very good movie. It was. It was I was kind of disappointed in having to watch that for the entire hour, <laughs> two hours, just for nothing. They fucked up. Uh, let's see. It says, unfortunately, safety co- coffins aren't in vague, in vague anymore. I think they meant vogue. Um, that makes more sense. So if you're... No, because our technology nowadays, you're dead, you're dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially with, you know, what I do for a living. You know, that's kind of like my job. In fact, that is my job. If someone... Um, goes helicopter. Oh, um, you probably are picking it up too, kids. We have a helicopter flying overhead. But my job, part of my job, is is if somebody dies, they have to go and monitor them electronically through a telemetry unit, and that's what I specialize is EKG telemetry interpretation. And they'll hook it up to a dead body, and it's actually my job to determine if they are actually dead or not. You didn't know this. I thought you monitored people who, like, come out of surgery to make sure that they're okay. That's part of it, yes. So how many dead bodies are on your floor that you're putting? Um, At the new hospital, I haven't done it once. But at the old hospital... It's once... They're pronounced dead. They're pronounced dead. I didn't think they got hooked up to it. They can't be pronounced dead unless I sign a paper saying they're... I thought the doctor said, okay, it's 402. No, you have to be hooked up to a monitor. to, And then I have to sign a little paper saying that, you know, my interpretation that there is no electronic life or electrical life in the body. And then I give it to the doctor and the doctor signs it off. Yeah, there's some there's there's kind of creepy details that I don't talk about my job. You know, you know the basic you know stuff, but yeah, but yeah, that's what I do. I I did it quite a few times over at uh, the other hospital. We'll just call it DVH. Um, so let's see. Uh, so if you if you're at a cemetery and you hear a muffled voice calling out, "Okay, guys, joke's over. Let me out." It might be a good idea to inform someone with a shovel quickly. But, you know, in reality, you if they're six feet down, you're not going to hear them covered with, you know, tons of dirt. And then it says, of course, the last sentence was merely fictitious. There's no way... Oh, well, what I just said. <laughs> and have we gone through all five of them? We did. We've gone through all five. Wow. So, that was pretty entertaining, yeah? Some of them. Which one? 
Which one did you like eh about? The circus corpse. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree. And then the hanging body one. That one's kind of sad, though. Yeah. Um, just because. But I'm more morbid in the the bell ringing, you know, that, you know, we've come so far in our technology. And it's, for me, interesting hearing about the, the old stories of the past with that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, <clears throat> oops, sorry. Still, still recording. Okay. Um, yeah, I agree. It's it's always been just like I was reading a thing for some reason on George Washington. It was just a random thing. And if he had been alive during our modern time, he wouldn't have died when he died. He died from pneumonia. And back in the, you know, 1700s, they didn't have the understanding that we do to pneumonia, which is actually a fairly common thing. I mean, Aaron just had it. And that's what he died from because they... Oh, yeah. I mean, a simple cut, chopping wood and get a splinter in your finger. I mean, that person's dead because of a splinter in their finger because there was no antibiotics. Right. Just like watching the survival shows. Mm -hmm. Um not the survivor, but um, the end of the world shows. Oh, yeah. That one. That guy was um, making a garden. Yeah. And I think he got a splinter or a blister or something. He, he got cut. His hand got cut. And um, the medical truck came around and they didn't have no antibiotics. And this is this day and time. Right. Um, But they were living as... Pioneers. It, right. It was like um post apocalyptic. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. They you know, had so the... just a simple antibiotic would have saved his life. Right. But medical supplies were scarce because everybody was stealing them or charging you outrageous trade or cash money, you know, seeds and anything that, you know, you need to survive. They were charging you too much. That was a good show too. I don't think it was, a, I think it was just... Um, like a special? Yeah. I don't think it was a series or anything. No, because I remember we watched it. We watched it twice. Yeah. And that was it. There was no other thing. You know, they went to the warehouse to see what kind of supplies they have. And people with guns and stuff had already taken over the warehouse. And the guy had his wife and his kid. I think it was just him and the kid. I think there was just a family of three. Well, I was I there was a daughter too. Maybe a family of four. And they were just trying to get water, you know, supplies. They were leaving town to go to a more secluded area without all the violence and the bullshit. And they were just trying to get supplies. And, you know, the guys were like, mm -mm, you're not taking any of this stuff. They had their guns drawn and. Yeah. And that's probably what would happen in real life. You know, people would stockhold what stuff they had. Yeah, we'll to... get, like, Los Angeles, the stupid riots. Yeah. And that's not even a life or, you know, death thing. They were just being stupid. Right. Um, let's see. Yeah, we actually, we blew through that quite quickly. I was, for some reason, I was expecting five. I was thinking maybe we'd spend, like, 
maybe 15 minutes per subject, but we didn't do that. Because they weren't that interesting. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, we can do another show. If this one doesn't, if this one doesn't sound good, we can go back in. Yeah. No, I think it's good. I think we we have mm. enough material. We're actually. Well, I'll coming... podcast with you good on Monday, if you want, and I'll find some stuff. Start a new podcast. Yeah. Well, we promised. Well, we didn't promise. We said we were going to. Um, in fact, I think that's probably a good time to talk about it. We were talking about starting a new podcast, Lacey and I, uh, called Entwined as One. And unfortunately, that just didn't happen because it's just life, you know, things. You're full-time mommy and uh, you've got things that you're trying to take care of you know, uh, as far as physically, and, and you've got to take care of the kids, you've got to take care of me, and you go into the gym, so you are... I have my own personal... Things that you have yeah. to attend to. And then, of course, me, and, and... I mean, we can do it as long as people don't mind hearing some chitter-chatter from a cat and a dog and kids. Yeah. But that's our life, <laughs> so it's... It is. You know, I'm not the type of person will... It has to be quiet in your podcast because this is still my home. This is, you know, our family. And if there's chitter-chatter from a kid or a dog or a cat in the background, oh, Simba's, welcome to my home. Simba's made his presence known in the last few episodes of Scene Red. Is it get up on your lap and meow? He'll, like, get right up and he'll jump on my shoulder and he'll, like, stick his snout right in, uh-huh. in the purr and then start purring into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Knucklehead. All right. Well, first, uh, first and foremost, thank you again for yeah podcasting. You're welcome. Um, so for this week, I am David K. Montoya, and I am Lacey Montoya. And if you're not into urban legends, then you're definitely seeing red. See you next week. Bye. Welcome to Seeing Red. Say we didn't warn you.